This episode is brought to you by Nosto, the world's leading commerce experience platform. Nosto enables personalized shopping experiences without the need for IT resources or a long implementation process. Stay tuned for a special offer exclusively for Stairway to CEO listeners later in the show. This episode is brought to you by Cogsy. Cogsy helps modern brands make smarter inventory purchasing decisions that optimize their working capital and frees up cash to fund growth and marketing initiatives. Stay tuned for a special offer for Stairway to CEO listeners later in the show. This episode is brought to you by Open New Reviews. Open New gives Shopify brands the tools to import their reviews from Amazon or eBay and helps them convert up to 40% more customers by supercharging their reviews with the power of AI. Stay tuned for a very special offer for Stairway to CEO listeners later in the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Stairway to CEO podcast brought to you by Future Commerce. I'm your host, Lee Green, and it's my mission to bring you a real, honest, and unfiltered interview with top business leaders from all walks of life. We'll talk about their climb to the top, their stumbles along the way, and the steps they took to get them to where they are. So tune in to get inspired, listen to some real talk, and enjoy the show. Welcome to episode 64 of the Stairway to CEO podcast. I'm your host, Lee Green, and today I spoke with David Crouch, the co-founder and CEO of Ritual Zero Proof. Ritual Zero Proof is the first American-made spirit alternative featuring all natural botanicals that echo the flavor and burn of liquor without the alcohol or calories. In this episode, David talks with us about his entrepreneurial journey from growing up in Oklahoma, where he sold pages out of his coloring book to other kids at just four years old, to moving to Chicago, where he started a physical therapy business and later a bone broth company called Osteobroth, to launching Ritual Zero Proof with his two friends, Marcus and Gigi, in 2019. While sipping on a smooth sailor cocktail I made with a shot of ritual rum alternative, David and I talked about the hundreds of iterations it took during the R&D process to land on the perfect recipe for each flavor, why the company has only one investor, and why he believes business isn't just business, it's personal. Tune in to hear all of this and more. If you like what you hear, please don't forget to subscribe to the show and leave us an awesome review. We hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, David. Thank you so much for joining the show today. I'm super excited to hear your story in building Ritual Zero Proof. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. So, you know, like I was saying, I typically will start in a different format, but again, I have this insane product that you sent and I just have to take the first few minutes to experience this. So you've sent your whiskey alternative. We've got the new rum alternative which i'm going to be trying right now we have the tequila alternative and the gin i mean these are beautifully branded the bottles are huge they're huge and they're beautiful so talk to me about the branding of this and the name how did you come up with the name beautiful um so yeah name first um 
that's a big part of why this whole thing exists. So often you want to sit down, mark a moment, you want to cozy up and, and read a book or enhance a meal. Mm-hmm. You want to make a cocktail. And, yeah. and the ritual of creating that cocktail is a big part of what you're looking for. At the end of the day, do you actually care if it's alcoholic? Maybe, maybe not. But if you don't, this is a wonderful opportunity. Um, for me, I happen to like both. I, I really enjoy cocktails. I also am very busy and, and don't necessarily need five tonight. Uh, maybe right. I could have a couple of leaded and then I shift over to ritual and can still have that same ritual of creating the cocktail, mm. not alcoholic. Amazing. Well, I went on the website and you guys have all of these great recipes because I was first thinking, I'm like, what am I going to make? What do I have at home to kind of put into this drink? Um, So I am making the smooth sailor here. I luckily had some lime juice and beer, a ginger beer, Mm. and I've got a little lime in there with a big ice cube. So I'm going to pour some of this rum alternative in here and then see what we've got. Let's see if I can. It's really good. Um, the, the recipes, we have some really fun ones on the website, but what we yeah. didn't want to do, the whole purpose of the product was be a one-to-one replacement for the real spirit. If you're using our rum alternative, you use it the same way. So one shot, basically. Yep. One shot. Measuring out a shot. shot. Exactly. All right. You're going to try this. And you have a drink in your hand. Which one are so- you having? So cheers. I have the uh, ritual gin here with a little bit of tonic. Well, cheers, David. Cheers. Thanks for being on the show. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> wow, that really tastes like rum. Isn't that great? That's insane. <laughs> That's insane. I w- I'm shocked. Like how many, how many iterations did you have to do to get so accurate? Oh my gosh. So the first two products were whiskey and gin alternatives. And both of those each took over 500 iterations to get right. Wow. Um, We learned a lot in that. And the tequila that came next and the rum that came next were a little bit easier um, and even better uh, because of everything we learned with the first two products. It took a lot. And it took a lot of hunting to find the right people to help us to be able to create this. We had the idea making it a reality is very, very different. Oh, yes, it is. Uh, There's lots of ideas out there. Ideas are kind of cheap. It's all execution. So tell me about the aha moment. Like, when did you decide to do this and why? Yeah, so um, my my very best friend in the whole world, Marcus Seiki, also one of my two co-founders, the other being his wife, Gigi. I was over at their house one night for just a night of fun. Marcus and I hanging out, going to go to a bar, um, but when I get over there, he's got all this stuff laid out on his countertop, and he's a he's a a, a pretty darn good uh, novice amateur chef. We we all like to cook and drink, and mm-hmm. and I kind of say, "What are you What are you making?" Because he had enough weird ingredients that I thought he's doing something interesting. And he said, "You know, I've been trying to just cut back a little bit on the the cocktails I'm drinking, and I tried to make something that would still be something I needed to sip on." Mm-hmm. but would still scratch that itch, would still make me want to enjoy the moment and take my time with it and enjoy making it, but not just dive into cocktail number two or three or four. So he made me one and I tried it and I said, wow, Marcus, that is disgusting. What are you doing <laughs> to me? That's horrible. <laughs> However, I see what you're working with here. That's a really good idea. 
I, I, and all the respect in the world that you took the time to create this, can I please have a real drink now? And then we're having our night and doing our thing. And the, the idea never left. And I kind of, what came to me was what you're missing is that it, it was just a, a thing. It wasn't, it wasn't directional. If we could actually make these taste like known spirits, if we could mm -hmm. approximate the flavor profile of whiskey, of gin, of tequila, of rum, that'd be amazing. Now we're talking Impossible Burger. Now we're talking almond milk. Now we're taking something that is different than the normal thing, but let you have that same experience. Let's do that. And it became an entire night of brainstorming how this company could become, how these products could be, all the use case scenarios. And then it became a week of it. Then it became a month of it. And then it became our lives for the last few years. It was a really fun journey from, from conception in which, you know, on a night we had a lot of non-ritual drinks to, right. to the leading uh, non-alcoholic spirit alternative company in the U.S. And so did you have any hesitations around, you know, sometimes the taste of alcohol itself, the connotation with that is that it's not so great, right? And so honestly, when I first saw this, I was like, I wonder how these are going to taste because if they're really accurate, you know, part of drinking, if it's not very tasteful is you're like, oh, eh, well, these will be buds and I won't even notice anyways, right? But this is not going to really give you a buzz. So have you had that kind of concern Have you know, going into creating this? Yeah. What's on your mind in that field? For sure. Um, I, I'm, I'm one of the, the oddballs. I actually really like the taste of liquor. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of my cocktails are one ingredient cocktails. Right. <laughs> no need to mess it up. It's already good. But that's why we haven't made a vodka alternative as, as a perfect example. So many vodka recipes are made to hide the fact that it's liquor. Mm -hmm. And we're doing the opposite. We're enhancing the flavor profiles of those, of those spirits. So we, yeah. we bring out the juniper and a gin. You're going to taste oak and smoke mm -hmm. in, our, in our whiskey. Molasses is going to come right to the front in, in, in the rum and all of that spice. And that's what we do. You're going to taste that agave. You're going to taste all of that that green bell pepper in that uh, in that tequila. So we're we're doing it differently. We're, we're we're letting you really enhance what you should be tasting in those spirits. And kind of with everything, the more you know about something, the more you appreciate it. You know, if you've ever taken a wine class, it's enlightening. And if you've taken many, oh my gosh, what you can pull out of a sip of wine is unbelievable. If you've been coached and taught how to do it. And we have, we've done that with spirits and we applied that to this. And when you, when you are looking for those flavor notes and you are trying to find those tasting components that are in there, it's wonderful. Yeah. Did you have to hire like professional tasters to really make sure to get it to this level? I mean, <laughs> we did. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so Marcus and I are really lucky in that we're both naturally super tasters and that, that, that is a, a bit of a rare quality we will share kind of fun. Yeah. But we went to the best in the business. We went right down to Louisville and we were working with, with flavorists and we were working with distillers and we really pulled the best in the business together. And they were all saying, ah, this can't be done. This is ridiculous. And really? we just didn't let up. We just didn't let up. We just kept at it saying, I don't care. The Impossible Burger is called the Impossible Burger because it was impossible. We're yeah. making an impossible liquor replacement. Let's go. Yeah. Um, and everyone involved is now very proud that they, they did stick with it. But it took a lot. It took a lot of convincing, a little bit of arm twisting, you know, a couple of bruises, but we, we made them, made them do it. <laughs> arm twisting. I, were there any moments where you were going through like the 450th iteration, you know, of this flavor or of a flavor? And you're like, are we ever going to get there? Did you like have those second guess moments? And if so, how did you handle it? 
Yeah, you know, it was it was much earlier on in which I think concept was proven. This is this is probably good enough. You know, this is this is iteration right. number thirty. I'm like, okay, we've really done something great here. Now let's take another four hundred and seventy iterations and really perfect it. Let's get really picky. The devil's in the details, and mm-hmm. the details matter. Let's get it right. So we kind of we kind of knew we were onto something really early on in the process, and it became a matter of perfecting. Interesting. Awesome. So you have these four flavors. Um, which one's your favorite? You know, because the rum is so new, um, it just launched. It's my favorite right now. It, it's, it's, it's so, really good. It's so good. It, it, it kind yeah. of bridges two major things I love. I love Christmas. I'm just I'm ready for Christmas now. Like let's go with the lights. It tastes and the like fun. Christmas. The whole it, it, it's Christmas in a glass. It's so good, <laughs> but it's also perfect in the summer. It, it it is very much a beach drink. Make a the kind of the dark and stormy type drink, and you're you're ready for a, a, a holiday. So yeah, and I love yeah. summertime. I love Christmas. It's all right there for me. Yeah, totally opposite seasons. Yeah, is that your favorite drink? The dark and stormy. It's really good. Yeah, it's probably probably is. Um, in 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 cocktail life, if if it's a liquor, I, I'm more of a bourbon guy. I drink a mm-hmm. lot of bourbon, and I do I do drink our bourbon quite a bit. Um, our gin is is exceptionally versatile. It's so it's so easy to work with. But I probably use the tequila more than anything else for making cocktails. When really? I'm asking guests over at my house, people what they want, very often they kind of blend towards that 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 tequila profile. Margarita, they just margarita, want margarita, Paloma. Yeah, exactly. Amazing. Yeah, I can't wait to try that one. Um, these are all really amazing and awesome. Um, what was one of the things, you know, beyond the taste of like, okay, this product, I think we're getting somewhere with the product. It's tasting great. We, we've got something here. What were some measurements for success that said, you know, we're not the only ones that think this is really awesome. This is going to work. The market wants this. Yeah. How did you test that? Mm -hmm. So the, uh, a lot of the people working with us are uh, chemists, flavorists, distillers that are, that have been doing this their entire life. And they had opinions, (laughs) they had pretty strong opinions on whether or not this was going to be something. And it it was almost like we were working with the pros right out of the gate. And if Mm -hmm. they gave us a nod of approval, we had a good chance that, that the, the general public would do so as well. But we we didn't we sent this out to a lot of people. A lot of people got to taste test this in advance. Um, people we trusted, people we didn't. You know, we we, we wanted to get this right. And the, taste is king. You, you have right. to have a tasting product. You're just gonna fall flat on your face if you don't. It's got to perform well. It's got to taste well. It's got to act right. It's got to smell right. It's got to look right. And we spend a lot of time doing that. How many is a lot of people? Is that like a hundred people? Is that 500 people? No, it's probably more like 12 to 1500 people. Wow. Um, which is, which is a lot. Yes. That um, is a lot of people. That's a lot. <laughs> and it, it was, uh, because of who we were working with, we had access to an enormous amount of people. So it, it's a little bit unfair. If I were saying, is that necessary for the average startup? No, mm-hmm. that, that extreme, but you know, but we're, we're a little extreme sometimes. Yeah. So how long did it take between kind of the R&D process and launch? Um, what was yeah. that timeline? And what was that it like? Was, it was um, over a year, not quite a year and a half, about a year and three to four months. Mm-hmm. Um, right. getting, getting everything lined up, getting ready to go, 
getting it all figured out, getting the people together to make it happen. Took about a year and a half. Yeah. And what was your go-to-market strategy? How did you kind of think about that and how did it work out? Uh, it did not work out how I thought it would. Great. <laughs> <laughs> right. Let's no, hear I, do have, I do have a background in, in CPG and in natural food. And the goal was, was to launch kind of right out of the gate in that industry. Um, so often in, in food, the natural food uh, segment is the early adopter, uh, followed by um, conventional grocery. So you end up in, right. in, in you know, kind of a whole food sprout to that route. And then you end up in the bigger Kroger, Albertsons, et cetera. Right. And then this weird little pandemic happened. And that kind of that kind of set us back a little bit from that plan entirely. No one is bringing on new brands. We did have one retailer, um, national retailer, bring us on right before the pandemic. Um, and, and he said, had this happened 24 hours later, it would not have happened. Wow. It was that, that down to the wire. <clears throat> and that's been a major proof point for us. We've excelled throughout that retailer. But it allowed us to pull back and really focus on branding, focus on our message, focus on finding our audience, finding our own voice, um, mm -hmm. and then taking that everywhere, you know, talking to our audience, finding out people are looking for, and becoming a, an e-commerce brand first. And we did very, very well with that. And when you say like try to find your own voice and you know refine the branding, what was that process like? It's so interesting. You know, you we we built this for us, right? We're 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 busy, we're in our 40s, we love cocktails, and we know we should drink a few less. It's a healthy thing. Right. For us. Sell it for us, right? Who else out there just like me wants the same thing? But there's so many other audiences. There's people that are 20 years younger, 20 years older, people that are sober for life, people that are sober for a reason, people mm -hmm. that are pregnant. You know, there's so many right. reasons to drink this. And finding those people, talking to them, uh, learning how to approach them. It's such an aha moment when you see this product and people go, why would I? Oh, I could make my wife a non-alcoholic margarita. Aha, that makes so much sense, right? And it... Kind of like the the Impossible Burger or almond milk. It now that the cat's out of the bag, you can't put it back in. There, there, there's never going to be a world where uh, the coffee joints don't sell uh, alternative milks to go with your latte. And, and in no world, a grocery store is not going to have alternative meats. Now that it's there, people are buying it. And most people that buy the Impossible Burger and Beyond Burger and everything. They're not vegans. They they just want balance. They've also got some ground beef in their cart. They just yeah. want to feel good about a choice they're making. And what we've learned is you can't change consumer behavior. They're going to yeah. do the thing that they want to do, but you can decide and help them decide what's in their hand when they're doing that behavior that they repeat. Maybe it's not real meat. Maybe it's not real milk. Maybe it's a ritual margarita instead of the real thing. Yeah, I'm still so shocked when I'm on an airplane and they still don't have a milk alternative. You're like, right. what is going on? Like, <laughs> what, what the hell is happening? Like, why do you not? You have, you know, a lot of travelers from different places. Like, you'd think they'd be a little bit more on top of it. Mm -hmm. Same thing with gas stations, same old, you know, cow milk right there. <laughs> Which is insane. Right. Yeah. yeah. Thankfully, I don't have to buy much food from gas stations anymore. <laughs> I plan a little in advance. <laughs> exactly. Make it from home. Um, so let's hear about your background. I'd love to you know, learn more about you um, starting from the early days. Where are you sure. from originally and what was childhood like growing up? 
That was great. Uh, I'm from Oklahoma originally. Wow. So a suburb just north of Oklahoma City. Mm-hmm. Oklahoma City has suburbs. You know, we can learn a lot on this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what? They <laughs> but it was, you know, a, a great childhood. I have an older sister, two loving parents that, that really wanted the best for me and, and still do. Um, incredible. Very supportive. I um, kind of had that entrepreneurial itch as a very young kid. As a, as a four-year-old, I was running around the neighborhood trying to sell um, my the, the pages I tore out of my of my coloring book, right? And <laughs> this one little old couple was wonderful and they'd give me a penny every now and then. And, and some people weren't so nice about it. They were right. awful drawings. You should never buy that. But it was adorable <laughs> and fun and cute. Um, played a lot of sports, very active, and, and always worked to some degree. Um, when I was 13, uh, my dad helped me start bro- uh, Broken Bow Lawn Care, my first actual business. Um, All right. made me do it right. You know, we had to become an actual company. People wrote their checks to, their, their $10 checks to, to, to Broken Bow Lawn Service. Mm-hmm. Um, it was great. You, you learned a lot that way. You know, um, it, you also learn that it's hard. <laughs> the, the businessy part of business is frustrating sometimes. I just wanted to mow lawns and my dad was smart enough to, 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 to make it a lesson at the same time. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. I went to, went to college in Oklahoma as well at a, at a small private liberal arts university um, chosen due to a, due to a nice scholarship and ended up in Chicago shortly after that. Um, what brought you to Chicago? You know, a big part of it was, was wanting to live in a big city mm-hmm. and, and I had a, I knew a lot of people here. Um, when it came to big cities, LA seemed like a lot and New York certainly was, mm-hmm. um, even though now, God, I love those places. <laughs> I love yeah. LA and I love New York, but at the time Chicago just seemed very tangible. It seemed easy to access. It seemed very me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and 20 years later, I'm still here. So I guess, I guess there's something to that. Nice. Um, yeah, and I was in the fitness and, and physical therapy industry. I did a, a, a kind of a biomechanics-based PT technique and taught biomechanics to other personal trainers and physical therapists and had my own my own company working for myself doing that. So when I, you know, I moved here and just built that that business, which really was me. It was building the brand of me trying to get a bigger and larger clientele and, and expand upon that. And how did you get into CPG from there? Yeah, a few years ago, seven, eight, nine years ago, I had a handful of clients come to me in a very short period of time and say, hey, have you ever heard of using chicken soup like medicine? I was like, not, no, yeah, sure, I guess, maybe like grandma's chicken soup, what do you mean? And they didn't know, and I didn't know, but I kind of went online and I got asked the question enough times to figure out they were talking about bone broth. And if you're familiar with bone broth, it's the, it's the very high collagen protein um, that you, you get from, from leaching out the, the protein from the bones and the connective tissue from a chicken or a cow or whatever you might use. And I found all of these online forums talking about bone broth and the benefits bone broth could give you even if they weren't using the right word. There was no commercialized bone broth. You couldn't buy it anywhere. So I said, you know what? This is ridiculous. I need to be making this for my clients. And I started making it for a few that had some intense autoimmune diseases and they got incredible results. And I thought, this is, I'm onto something here. So knowing nothing, I 
I created a company and, and sold a, a bone broth called Osteobroth. I sold it to other PTs and chiropractors and, and doctor's offices, sold online. Um, and, and I learned, man, there's a lot I don't know. There's so much I don't know. I'm winging this thing and I have no yeah. idea what I'm doing. And I met with a, um, I started studying for the GMAT at the same time. And I met with a career counselor um, for Northwestern, for Kellogg University. And um, I was take, taking the GMAT, made a great score, thought I could, you know, all right, if I can go to a top five grad program, that kind of changes the game, right? I could, I could do something entirely different and really make this company work. I met with him and he said, we'd love to have you. You don't want to be here. You have no <laughs> desire to be here. You've been working for yourself this entire time. You, you're not going to leave here and go work for a consulting company or go to IBM. You're going to keep doing your own thing. I would take your current experience and keep expanding upon it. I was like, okay, that was not Smart the advice. Guy. Good advice. Yeah, right. So that's, um, that was my interest in the CPG. I just, I kept plugging away at that. Um, sold off part of that company, started another, um, another soup company called Parks and Nash. And that's what I was doing full time when Marcus and I had this aha moment uh, for, for ritual and I've been kind of deep into ritual ever since. Nice. But, yeah. And so what were some of the road bumps you hit along the way in trying to get this off the ground? Well, first it was getting people to believe that the, that the we could get this thing formulated in a way that was going to work. Um, once we did, we put our backs into it. We're, you know, not, not big on doing things part way. Big roadblocks. Oh, yeah. This is kind of a bad answer. We've had a lot of success. We we haven't bumped up against the that a lot of the traditional headaches. If I could have done things differently, I would have prepared for more success. Um, you know, I, and I've and I've had a lot of failure in my life. I've, I've the other companies that I've tried to make this thing work, whole different conversation. But but focused on ritual. If I could do things differently, it's it's prepare for more success uh, because this category is on fire. This company is is leading the charge in the United States for a category that's really needed, mm-hmm. and nobody understood just how big this was going to get when we first started the company. We'll get right back to our show, but first, a word from our sponsors. Nasto enables e-commerce brands to deliver personalized digital shopping experiences at every touchpoint across every device. Designed for ease of use, Nasto empowers brands to build, launch, and optimize one-to-one omni-channel marketing campaigns and digital experiences without the need for dedicated IT resources or a lengthy implementation process. Leading brands in over 100 countries use Nasto to grow their business and delight their customers. As a Stairway to CO listener, you can take advantage of an exclusive 10% discount off your first six months. Learn more or request a demo by going to nasto.com slash Stairway to CEO. That's N-O-S-T-O dot com slash Stairway to CEO. A major blocker for Shopify brands is getting reviews from Amazon, eBay, or AliExpress into Shopify to boost conversions and generate more sales. With OpenNew, simply import those reviews in just a few clicks, and once your reviews are in, OpenNew works 24-7 to select the best reviews at scale. With OpenNew, you can receive up to 10% conversion uplift compared to other competitors. Remember, you only have one chance to make a good first impression, so give your Shopify store the best chance of success 
success with open new reviews. As a Stairway to CEO listener, you can get 20% off for a lifetime on all open new plans for a limited time by going to opennew.com slash Stairway to CEO. That's O-P-I-N-E-W dot com slash Stairway to CEO. Cugsy empowers modern brands to be more agile and adaptive when it comes to their inventory. Leverage Cugsy's prioritization, predictive analytics, and automated purchase flow to always have the right stock on hand at the right time. Not only that, but Cugsy has an innovative plan B for those times when you do run out of stock. You can run back orders that keep customers happy and beat the conversion rate of back-in-stock notifications. Get your first two months free when you sign up by going to cogsy.com slash CEO. That's C-O-G-S-Y dot com slash CEO. Yeah. Yeah, this category is extremely, like just in the very beginning phases, it's a pretty exciting one. Um, well, I mean, I'm sure, so why didn't you have those roadblocks? Because, nor- you know, there's normally like a lot of things that go wrong in starting a company. So what hmm. is it that's, just your that's, that's a, Yeah, that's a very easy answer because I've made all those mistakes before in other go. companies and I was like still bleeding in the forehead from, from bashing my <laughs> head against walls <laughs> and, and I knew some places to avoid, right? Um, it like really what? was. What were some learning. of those things that you learned from before? Sure, sure. Uh, one is, you know, you, you, you cannot do it alone. So much of entrepreneurship just sounds like something you're doing by yourself because you think of business being a thousand person company and a startup being you in a garage and don't let it be that. There, there are so many resources and people that want to help entrepreneurs, that want to help startups. It, it, is, the, it is the fuel that makes things better. Um, there's this whole industry of people going out there and, and putting themselves on the line to, to create something better for the world. What Let are some of those resources? Are there any that stick out that you that were really pivotal for you? Um, so yeah, so with, with other companies, it's been um, smaller investment groups that, that, that come together but offer more than just money. They're mm-hmm. offering advice. They're offering friendship. And, and 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 sounding boards. Um, there there are enormous networks. You know, in the natural foods industry, things like Naturally Chicago, Naturally Boulder, groups of entrepreneurs getting together to share their resources, to to to, to mind meld and to try to to navigate this crazy world. Um, yeah. And it's and it's very helpful. For for ritual, it was it was taking a lot of that and applying it, but it was also doing it with co-founders, with Marcus and Gigi side by side, people I absolutely trust with my life to go and run chunks of the business because you can't do it all yourself. You just, you, you can't do it all yourself and you certainly can't scale. And, and if you started off with the mindset of this is mine, 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 it's really hard to give those pieces away um, and grow. And you yeah. have to be able to give things away to be able to grow. There's a lot of different ways to form a partnership with a co-founder. So when you're thinking about, you know, dividing equity or if you, any advice you have for friends that want to start a company together, how do you view how to divide that equity? Sure. Uh, the first thing I would say is the be respect the binary nature of startups. So much of it is one or zero, success or failure. Right. And if any success is just better than failure and there's just, there's no way around it. Yeah. Um, so if, if you're with people that are genuine, genuinely going to help you move that ball forward, do it. It's it, 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 you're going to need it regardless. Um, how to divide it up. 
it's hard. Um, people will always feel some level of ownership more than somebody. It, it gets awkward. It gets complicated. Yeah. My biggest advice is don't let it. If you're genuinely, truly an entrepreneur, whatever you're working on now is not the last thing you're going to be working on. You're going to do right. this again and again and again. You can't stop. It's way too much fun. Don't stop. View it that way. This is not your life's work. Entrepreneurship is your life's work. Let this yeah. be one step in this process. Do you think equal splits are the best route to start things off on a clean slate? Or do you think that someone should always have more equity than the other? I think that's very, that's very situationally dependent. Mm -hmm. um, it really depends on what you're bringing to the table, how much work you're going to put into the, into the company uh, and how you plan to finance the company going forward too. So yeah. there's so many variables. It's hard to say. Yeah. Um, it, but that'd be wonderful. If you can find a, another or a couple of, of, entrepreneurs that think like you that you trust maybe they're already your friends yeah go 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 all in and go in together yeah and so in terms of funding um you've had one investor this whole time you guys are past a series a um talk to us about how this happened because that's a very kind of rare scenario and I'm really mm -hmm. interested to hear the story yeah so I've, I've raised money for, for multiple companies, um, the very traditional bootstrap way. Mm -hmm. And it sucks. It does. It's, it's horrible. It's awful. Uh, the it's, majority it's, of the conversations on the show are that, like, in the trenches, true. all the negatives, yeah. those naysayers. Mm -hmm. That's the worst. <laughs> and, it's, and, it's, and it's hilarious. So, you know, um, I had another company. I'm very busy. Marcus is a, is a, is a novelist. He's written nine books. He's written wow. screenplays, very busy. And we kind of, we love gamesmanship. We love <clears throat> trying to figure out how to system break and do something a little bit different. And when we were doing this, doing it the traditional way sounded awful because it is. And it doesn't allow you to move at speed. You have to go through the same kind of traditional hoops and steps to prove concept and get another dollar and prove concept and get another dollar. Yeah. Okay, it, it, it is fine. But we kind of saw where this, where this entire category was going and it wasn't going the traditional route. It was, it was going to move fast. So we, um, we actually approached Diageo, the world's largest spirits company, through um, their kind of offshoot brand accelerator um, and showed enough proof of concept to get in front of their investment board. And it was great. They kind of said, listen, a lot of brands are trying to do this, but no one has done it as well as you guys have. And we put together a really interesting investment agreement that keeps them as our primary and sole investor as long as they want to. And they've been very generous and we have hit every metric and then some. So it's been a very equitable relationship. Amazing. That's a really fascinating um, and uh, good for you guys for getting that deal. Well, you in know, place. It's, so every strategic, every large company brings on smaller brands. I mean, they really do use us, the entrepreneurs out, entre entrepreneurs out there as their R&D team, um, right. whether we realize it or not. Right, you're already working for Kraft or Unilever. You're already working for somebody who's going to buy your concept later. Yeah, this works out, or you failed. Right, that's that's kind of the best. Maybe you get a, a, a venture capital or PE exit, but that's really unlikely. Um, most of us go this other way first. 
why does it have to be after a series B? You know, why, why do you have to have raised $15 million and are selling 15 million a year to get acquired by a strategic? You know, if, if, if you're smart, if you're capable, if you have a great concept and an amazing product, approach them early. Yeah. Why not? It's cheaper for them. They get a better deal and you eliminate the floor. You get rid of that failure because you've got the money to mm -hmm. then go and do the thing. Go right. get the press, go get the, go get the excitement to go, go nail the marketing, get your branding, right. Get it out there. Let people know I've got something amazing. Um, yeah. and it, I, I, it's not the way it works most of the time now, but I'd be very surprised if, if it's not the way it works more often later, it's a good yeah. deal for everybody. Everybody wins. Um, it would cut out a lot of the family office, small seed investor crowd, um, which would be unfortunate, but I think that it can all get worked out with some, you know, invest along rights and that kind of thing. I think everybody could still win, but don't, yeah. don't assume that you can't get an investment from a gigantic company early, maybe yeah. even give it a shot. Yeah. And making them a long-term partner. Mm -hmm. um, that's awesome advice and definitely something for listeners to think about as they grow their business. When you were fundraising in your previous experience and bootstrapping and in the trenches and that one, you know, cause that's where a lot of the founders kind of are, what advice do you have? What were some of the road bumps and learnings you learned in that fundraising process? Hmm. I need a, I need a non-ritual drink to have this conversation. I think, <laughs> you know, it's just heartbreaking. Yeah, and it's just difficult. And it's a different way of doing things. You know, I'm my my sales meeting batting average is incredibly high. You know, if I get in front of a buyer and I have my product, I do a very good job of getting that sold through. Investing is just very different. What you're selling is is you, it's your product, it's your your roadmap, it's your entire business plan, it's a category. You're selling the entire macro of your category before you can even get into selling what your product is. There's so much that goes into it that's out of your control. And that's very frustrating because yeah. they they may love you, they may think the world of you. You get a 99 out of 100. But they also met with somebody that day that was 100 out of 100. So they didn't pick but you'd already flown to Dallas and you had the meeting and you wore the suit and you did the thing. And they didn't realize that your company had 1200 bucks at the time. They didn't know <laughs> that that took up 800 of the 1200 bucks to get you down to Dallas and make the call. Right? <laughs> right. And then you leave and you're heartbroken and yeah. gave it a shot. And then you got to find a way to make 600 bucks more to get down to Atlanta and do it again. Yeah. It's hard. You know, I hope that it got a little bit easier with the pandemic and zoom and people mm -hmm. getting on online and doing a lot of these meetings, nothing's better than in person, except it hurts more. <laughs> it right. doesn't, doesn't yep. work. Hurts more. It's a little more expensive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so what kind of qualities do you think make up a, a really great CEO? Hmm. I think, so strategy is very important to me. It's uh, I'm, I, I play a lot of chess. I play far too much chess. I have a problem. Um, but but being able to to look a few steps ahead, to to know what you're trying to do, to be able to create that path for your employees is really important. Um, most people don't have that entrepreneurial mindset. That forge your own path, get a machete out, and just create a road. Right. Yeah. 
Um, and if you don't have that, that's absolutely fine. But if you do have that and you want to have employees, you've got to make it easier for them. It, it can't be, you can't assume they're going to have that same mindset. So look ahead, look to where you're going and be able to articulate that path for them so they don't feel like you're just whacking away in the wilderness with a the machete. There actually is a plan here. You're going Shooting toward from the, the hip, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Even though you may be, do your best <laughs> to, to, to make it work for your employees. Mm -hmm. I think that the ability to, to create personal relationships is really important. Um, every, everyone that I work with, I would consider a friend. And, and that's, that's wonderful. Uh, some of them are great friends. And that's beautiful too. My, our first hire outside of the founders was, was a guy who's been a friend of mine since college. Um, he was deep in the spirits industry and a, a wealth of information. Um, would never have hired him and crossed that very delicate boundary yeah. if I didn't have the faith that we had the right strategy, had the right product, had enough things in place that I wasn't going to ruin his life. Yeah. <laughs> so, so strategy, planning the head, and then, and then keeping it personal. There's nothing not personal about a startup. The whole it's just business thing is complete bullshit. It's just personal. You live yeah. this stuff, breathe this stuff. It's important. Keep it personal and, and become friends. And that doesn't work in a thousand person company, but it works in a 15 person company and it should work. Yeah. I like that you said that. I've heard a lot of like empathy, you know, on the show to that kind of answer to that question. Um, but keeping it personal, I think is something that's really important and it's different than empathy. It's, you know, like you said, there's a lot of these companies and I've had this experience too, where business is business. I'm going to treat you a certain way because this is just business. And that's not really how it works. Like the person still leaves feeling a certain way. It never really goes away. There's no healing that happens. So then you're left with these feelings and it's just not, it's a mess. It's just not how you should treat people in general, if you're in a business or not. Right. Mm -hmm. It's like treat people how they should deserve to be treated. Yeah. I mean, it, it, we kind of, this is a, a business started amongst friends. Our first hire were friends. Mm -hmm. the, the next hire was the, the brother of a friend, like it just kind of kept going. You can't treat them like anything else. They, they have to be friends. It has to be personal. Yeah. Now we have employees all over the country and I love them all. It, it's important. You, you have to, to make it personal. Um, and then they're going to care about you and they're going to care about the company and they're going to care about the products and they're going right. to make it personal to them. Every single person in our company deeply cares about the, the company. Every yeah. single person in our company has equity in the company. Mm -hmm. It's important to us. That, that's part of our culture. Everybody gets a piece. Everybody is an owner. It's all personal. There's so many, there's some people, you know, are, that say, you know, never go into business with your friends. <laughs> and then there's like the people that are like, we, I only go into business with my friends. What do you, what's the difference between those two things? Like, why is there such a contrast? I think the first person got burned <laughs> went into business with the wrong friend. Um, if, if, if I so could, not every, if I, so the, so the thing is, is not every friend is the right friend to go into business with. Is that what you're saying? I think that the most important thing you can have amongst your founders and amongst your employees is trust. Mm -hmm. I absolutely trust everyone in this company to get their shit done and to make it amazing. And they trust me to do the same thing. And if, yeah. if you have that, you're going to become friends, whether you meant to or not. I trust you. We're into the same thing. Now we love each other. Oh, crap. We're friends. Like, look what happened. Right? <laughs> um, so I think it's fine. But 
work your ass off, you know, you can, you can absolutely ruin a friendship in business. No question. Right. Um, the one way to ensure you don't ruin the friendship, win, win, go win. If you all get out of this thing or you thought you were going to get out of this thing, it's going to work out. Right. So how big is your team now? We're at 14 people now. All right. And so what are you thinking? Are you guys remote or you have an oh, office? Oh, well, um, the people that, if they're in the city, um, and, ever, and you've been vaccinated, you're welcome in the office. So we have, we opened the office up um, about a month ago, and it's been wonderful. Uh, my my co-founders and I became a pod right when the, the pandemic kind of kicked off and said, we can't do this thing remote. This is awful. Let's all just do this thing together. <clears throat> so everyone came together, and that was our decision. And then um, now everyone in the company is vaccinated. We all feel very safe. We're all back in the office, and it's fantastic. There's a lot of kind of controversy, I think, a little bit in that um, topic with, um, you know, going back to the office. A lot of employees like don't want to go back. They want to go back maybe part time instead of full time. Um, was there any kind of conversation like that with your team or what was the strategy behind going back to the office after being remote for like a year? There was a lot of talk about it. Um, you know, first and foremost, safety. We want to make sure mm -hmm. that we have a, you know, when this whole thing happened, you know, we thought zombies were coming out of the walls. Like, yeah. It's hard to even go back there, right? It was a terrifying yeah. time. Yes. Um, thank God that's over. It, it's gotten a lot better. Mm -hmm. um, but we had a lot of talk about it. And that's kind of part of our culture. We we genuinely missed the people that we weren't in front of. We miss the people that are that are remote. We hired some people in different states we've never met in person. That's weird. I can't wait to fix that. Um, so we had we had a lot of conversations around it, and where we landed was get vaccinated. You know, mm -hmm. we're we're kind of big believers in science. Follow that. Do that. If you don't want to get vaccinated, that's absolutely fine. But you can't come back right now. You know, we'll talk. So later. there. Are, so you do have some team members that are working remote still. Yes. Yeah. So we have some people out on the west coast and east coast that are that are remote because of location. So you have like a hybrid situation going on where you've got some remote team members and then you have the office with people that can work at the office. Yep. So it yep. sounds, sounds like it's very flexible. Super flexible. Um, and we're a pretty flexible company. It comes back to that trust thing. You know, yeah. we, we don't, we're not, you're not clocking in. You're just getting your stuff done and right. we trust you to get it done. And that, 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 that works regardless. People, Everyone that's remote will come in for summits and, and, and sessions. We'll fly everybody in and do a big powwow, which is amazing. But trust, it, it, again, it comes down to trust. There are, there are companies whose vacation policies are so, it's a, it's, a, it's a tome to read through the vacation policy, right? Right. Ours is, I trust you. I trust you. Get your yeah. shit done. And, and it's fine. <laughs> right. Take off whatever time you need. It's kind of like an unlimited policy. Absolutely. Yeah. Of course it is. Yeah. Yeah. We're busy. You don't, I, I know that no one here has time to take off week after week after week. That's impossible. Right. But, but, but I also trust you to get your stuff done and, and yeah. everyone, everyone gets their stuff done and does it very well. So you guys have done incredibly well during the pandemic when a lot of companies weren't doing so well. Um, and I know that a lot of people were drinking, you know, alcohol during the pandemic because it was a tough time for everybody. Everyone's sitting at home, like what the hell is happening to the world? Um, as a non-alc brand, you guys have done extraordinarily well, like uh, 40% above projections. So talk to me about how that happened. What, what was in line to allow that to happen? <laughs> Um, so a few things there, you know, right when this whole, you know, 
as as the world seemed to be falling apart and we're waiting for the for the zombies to come out of the sewer and all that <laughs> we were terrified like everybody else was and so I, I called a big meeting and we put together three different budgets we had our, our original budget and we had what i called a slashed budget where everything was less than it was supposed to be we have less opportunity to spend we're going to get less revenue every team go and slash your budget assuming things are going to get bad and then there was a disaster budget what if we never make another penny but this is all we get the world is falling apart yeah. for a time how can we just hang on by our fingernails and make this thing happen so we immediately implemented the slash budget every spin got cut everything changed and I said, we're not going to talk about this for 30 days, and we're going to let things begin to shake out. And 30 days later, kind of went, yeah, so we, we spent less, but we still made the revenue we thought we'd make. What's going on here? Wow. And then let's just give it another 30 days. Sales are way up, and we're still spending less. Come to find out, yeah, everybody was drinking during the pandemic, and everyone was drinking on out during the pandemic. People wanted that celebration. They wanted that Zoom cheers. They wanted to cozy up next to the fireplace with the book and make that moment special, whether it was whiskey or whiskey alternative. Mm -hmm. They wanted the whole ritual of the thing. Um, and it began, the pandemic began to really highlight health. And people began to take their health very seriously. Yeah. And some people drank a whole lot early on and went, wait a minute, you know, the, the, the Tiger King part of the, the pandemic's over now. Let's get serious about our health a little bit. Yeah. And they started drinking less. So it, it became a it became obvious that this this category, this product, people need it, people want it for all the right reasons. To, yeah. to create your own rituals, to have those rituals in your life, to 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 enjoy yourself and your friends and your family in a moment whether it's with alcohol or without. And with the team being remote, it sounds like, you know, I'm assuming it's probably similar to everybody else where all of a sudden you're in an office and then you're not. Mm -hmm. And now all of a sudden you're managing a remote team, which a lot of people have never had any experience with. And mm -hmm. so how did you kind of navigate that and how did you motivate your team? <laughs> so we immediately put together a few different rooms, like virtual offices. Um, one was for the entire team and one was kind of my office you feel and you open up both screens first thing in the morning people popping in and out all day making it seem as normal as possible right um set up regular full team meetings to keep everybody engaged keep everybody excited um but it's not easy you know we were all kind of in this thing together trying to figure out how to make it work um, and kind of back to that whole how best to to counter negativity when mm -hmm. we just the, it kept happening everyone had a new idea on how to engage a new audience here's a new idea here's a new idea the team was so engaged the team was so alive with this product everyone is an owner like i said it just kept coming it just kept kind of happening we, we kept everybody engaged and they didn't need that much you know, quote unquote, managing because we, we hired right and they took care of their stuff. 
you know, meetings, I feel like Zoom meetings, people were just getting so much like Zoom fatigue, you know, so many meetings so that we can all stay on the same page and stay motivated, right? So when you say that you had a lot of full team meet full meetings with everybody, how often were you having them? And what would you suggest is like a healthy amount of meetings during the week? So, you know, even pre-pandemic, we've always had our all hands meeting once a week. Um, and that's that's where all the teams come together and it's just a full download of everything. We still do that. We had some more topic specific ones um, very early on in the pandemic. We kind of had that cadence a little bit earlier and realized it was not necessary and it became more team specific. So mm -hmm. we still had that regular touch point at least once a week, only once a week and at the same time, very regular. Um, and then it was the sales team, the marketing team, the creative team all getting together to to mind meld and get their stuff done. Um, and then, you know, with, with big victories or any major announcement, we always kind of do a Slack 911. Everyone jumps on the virtual office and we can get that done too. Interesting. And so what do you think has kind of led to the success of Ritual? Um, what's put you on, is there anything specific that really helped put you guys on the map? Was it like a press article that was a big winner? I know it's always a, a you know, a combination of everything. But when you think of like the number one thing that really helps you build the brand or, you know, get sales, is it paid media? Is it influencers? What is it? You know, I think it's, um, I'm going to try to give you one answer and I'm going to give you like four, yeah. but, 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 but it starts <laughs> with, with our entire concept of being that one-to-one -one super simple liquor replacement. So there wasn't any learning curve. If it would right. tequila alternative, Use it like tequila. It's just super straightforward. And then having having very strong but clean, bright, on-point branding. Mm -hmm. Our branding is very simple. Simple is very hard to do. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it is not mucked up. Our our three founders, our first hire was a spirits expert. Our second hire um, was our creative director. Um, was all about branding. We had to nail that. It had to be obvious from flipping through Amazon or walking through Kroger, oh, that makes sense. So a super simple, straightforward, understandable product, and then just getting it in front of people. And I think that the the pandemic helped us to highlight um, that. You know, we we took spend that could have been spent in store and put it on on paid media, on on, on search, on social media advertising, and that's been huge for us. And what about influencer marketing? How do you view that for the for a non-alf brand? It's great. It's great. We've really dug into that more um, over the past few months. It fits into so many different lifestyles. You know, whatever yeah. the influencer's key core thing may be, whether it's diet related, fitness related, even more specific, it works for them. Um, and it works for a lot of brands that, a lot of larger brands, a, a lot of bigger companies that would love to attach themselves to an alcohol company if they weren't an alcohol company. They, you know, they, they, they may be a little bit more kid-friendly or family-focused. They avoid going with a real vodka, but they jump in with us because we have all the same benefits of that liquor brand without the actual liquor. Yeah. And what do you think, you know, being a founder really involves a lot of persistence, uh, positive mindset, staying motivated every day. Do you have a morning ritual or any type of routine that helps you stay on track. Just wake up screaming, and then <laughs> ten minutes of crying. And then well, if you have kids, then that'll do it. You know, <laughs> I, do. I have a lot of young children. Um, no, you know, it's uh, I, 
I've had to fight myself on not just grabbing the cell phone and checking mm-hmm. email. So I forced 10 minutes before I got uh, 10. That's nothing, right? 10 minutes, but 10 yeah. minutes of not grabbing my phone. If I'm allowed to just lay there, I really try to manifest the day. I think about the most important things. I try to bring them to life. It is very, very possible to, 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 to bring your ideal life into reality um, and try to remember what's really important and try to think high level, bring it down to very tactical moves and think as many moves out as possible. Um, working with friends, um, you know, back to that whole thing, it's a, it's a real responsibility, you know, as, as it, it makes everything better. The highs are better, but the lows can be lower too. Mm. And to avoid those, you got to think a little harder and you can't just play the game. You got to think through every move to make it work right. And for me, if I'm allowed 10 minutes of doing that, it makes a big difference. Yeah. What's something you think most people don't know about building a business? Hmm. how hard it is um, and how rewarding it is. You know, building anything is thoroughly enjoyable. I love woodworking. I love uh, rebuilt motorcycles. Building something is so much fun. And we've all gotten some taste of that. You built your kid's bicycle. You, you did something and it's so gratifying. You can't imagine how gratifying it is to build a business. Their responsibility is heavy. You're also in charge of all of these employees and their health insurance and their kids. And there's so yeah. much that you have to take seriously, but it is so very gratifying to build something and see something out in the real world. But I think it's just worth it. I I think it's a shame if you don't give some some version of entrepreneurship a shot. It doesn't have to be leaving your job and creating the company. It can be some very small step towards that, Um, but do it. It, 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 It's a wonderful way to grow as a person. What would be a small step? Because I agree with you. I don't think that everybody should be jumping to quit their job. Although there are a lot of people quitting their jobs right now to try to start something, which is a little scary knowing (laughs) being an entrepreneur. I'm like, you guys be a little careful. You know, it's uh, pretty tough. Um, Yeah. We, you only hear the success stories, you know, like you don't hear about the millions of companies that tank right? Mm-hmm. It's like, they think all there's the a graveyard. Time. There's a very large graveyard of businesses that die. Oh my God. And, I've, and I've been there and it's awful. Um, yeah. from, a, from a small step, maybe within your company, there's a committee you can take over. There's a, there's a charitable organization you can become a part of. Maybe you can build a charity on the side mm-hmm. and, and, and scratch that itch, build something, benefit the world, but not put your, your family's healthcare at risk. You know, there, there can be some ways right. to, to mitigate that risk and still have that same that same feeling. Fair warning, you you might get that itch going and it may not stop. You may right. And once awesome. you have it, you can't get rid of it. <laughs> you really can't. No, it's hard. <laughs> yes. Um, so before we wrap up, do you have any other kind of final advice for you know entrepreneurs out there listening or those that are thinking about starting something? Um, business operators, just this the listeners in general, like what final advice do you have? Yeah, final advice um, kind of goes back to what I said earlier about not thinking you have to do it completely on your own. There, there's someone, even if you have the most unique idea in the world, there's someone that's that's right there with you. It may not be the same idea, but they could be an amazing business partner. They could be your investor. Get out there. Don't be afraid to talk about your idea. Yep. You know, it's, it's very rare that someone steals your idea and goes and makes it happen. That, that, that's a great movie, 
everyone is so afraid of that. Like every first time I get it. I was afraid of it early on. I carry around NDAs in my briefcase in my backpack all the time. Like that's ridiculous. Um, if you don't just get out there and begin making steps, just just start digging. Start digging and see what you find. You're gonna uncover an enormous amount of questions, get them answered, find people that are helping help will help you to answer those questions for you. It's it's a learning process. You know, life is about learning. That's as important as the money you'll get from this. And you'll realize later, ultimately more important than the money you'll get from this is how much you've learned, yeah. the people you've met, the experiences you've had. It's it's worth it to just step out the door and just start going. It's about the journey, not the destination. Right. <laughs> um, so what is next? What's the grand vision for a ritual? What can we expect to see next? Yeah. Spirit alternatives are the thing. They, they, they are as needed as gluten-free bread, as, as a dairy-free milk, as a meat alternative. Every responsible bar and grocery store and host and barbecue will have a non-alcoholic option for the adults, just like they have an alcoholic option for the adults. So you're going to see it everywhere. Uh, ritual, ritual will become synonymous with non-alcoholic spirits. You'll be able to order a gin and tonic, and you know you're going to get alcohol, or a ritual gin and tonic, and you know you're getting a non-alcoholic option. What about the kids? Do you think because it's non-alc that parents are going to be like, hey, you want a drink? I don't think so. I think I think because back to your early point of a lot of people don't find the taste of alcohol exciting. True. Kids really don't. Kids are just not a fan of alcohol. Have you tested this on your kids? I have. <laughs> Not a fan. Not a fan. And when they want the margarita mix, no tequila. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good thing for them to try early on so they know never to drink alcohol. <laughs> That's a good idea. I could actually make a really awful version of this to, to turn yep. kids off from. <laughs> yep. Hey, kids, this is what alcohol tastes like. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much, David, for being on the show. I really appreciate your time today. Thank you so much. I had fun. Thank you so much for listening to the Stairway to CEO podcast. Once again, I'm your host, Lee Green. And if you have any burning business questions, please feel free to reach us at www.stairwaytoceo.com. We'd love to hear from you. And if you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe to the show, tell your friends, leave us a review, and follow us on Instagram at Stairway to CEO. Until next time, guys, keep on climbing.